Will you pray with me? Gracious and loving God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be precious in your hearing this day. Between last week's main character of Nicodemus and this week's main character, our gospel writer has giving, has, is giving us a lot to chew on when we think about just who the stories of Jesus are for and why he came to earth. Caroline Lewis writes some about this wide difference between these two people. Nicodemus is a Pharisee. He's an insider, a leader of the Jews. He is a man, he has a name, but he comes to Jesus by night. The character to whom we are introduced in John 4 is a Samaritan, a religious, social, and political outsider. She is, she is a woman. She has no name, but she meets Jesus at noon in full daylight. The contrast between the conversations these two characters have with Jesus is even more extraordinary. Whereas Nicodemus is unable to move beyond the confines of his religious system, the Samaritan moves outside her religious ex expectations to engage Jesus in some theological debate. Whereas Nicodemus cannot hear that Jesus is sent by God, the woman at the well hears the actual name of God, I am. I am. While Nicodemus's last questioning words to Jesus expose his disbelief, the last words of the woman at the well lead her to witness to her whole town. So we have these two very different people who have encounters with Jesus. Nicodemus intentionally, he goes there seeking Jesus out, and the Samaritan woman quite accidentally, she's going to the well for her normal chores, and she finds Jesus there. But both of them find that they have to confront what Jesus says to them in a way that has the potential to change their very lives. One a bit more successfully in the immediate term than the other. Caroline Lewis highlights some of the finer points that we often overlook. The Samaritan woman at the well is not a passive recipient of Jesus' offer. She immediately recognizes the societal barriers and boundaries that keep her in her place. But at the same time, she challenges Jesus' authority over and against the ancestors of the faith. Like Nicodemus, she first interprets Jesus' words on a literal level. However, she also recognizes that Jesus has something that she needs. And she's able to ask for what Jesus has to offer rather than simply question the possibility or question who he is, she invites him into her world. While many are preoccupied with the woman's sin and Jesus' offer of forgiveness as illustrated in verses 16 to 18, the text itself says nothing of any sin she's committed, nor does Jesus ever actually speak words of forgiveness to her. Jesus' question to her about her husband is not a comment on her marital status, over which she would not have had any control anyway. 
Rather, like Nicodemus, his words are meant to move her to a next level of understanding of who Jesus is, and the conversation is successful. She sees that Jesus is a prophet. Moreover, sin in the Gospel of John is not a moral category related to behavior. Sin for John is unbelief, the inability or unwillingness to acknowledge Jesus as Lord and God, which this woman comes to do. When the woman successfully moves to a new level of understanding of who Jesus is, she then presses forward in a theological dialogue with Jesus regarding the acceptable place of worship, whether that's Mount Gerizim or Jerusalem, over which the Jews and the Samaritans have disagreed for centuries. She just dives right into this debate that they've been raging between these two cultures for years. She's like, I'm going to get my answer. Her question about the place of worship is also a question about the dwelling of God, and it represents a fundamental issue for for the whole Gospel of John. In Jesus, the word is made flesh, and God has chosen to dwell among us, among people. And as a result, Jesus reveals to this woman the very truth of who he is. I am, he says, the very presence of God. It isn't about the mountains. He says, I am God with you. She experiences such new life from him in that very moment that she is able to press him on these theological concerns that maybe she's wondered about for years. But she's had no one to ask from whom to get satisfactory answers. So she takes advantage of this opportunity that she as a woman, she as a Samaritan woman, has never had a place to ask before. And Jesus is there and she says, I'm not passing this up. He is right in front of me. So Nicodemus and the woman at the well who meets Jesus, they end up wrestling with some real truths that Jesus offers them in their encounters. They take what he shares, and while we don't exactly know in the moment what Nicodemus does with it, except that we know he doesn't receive it with gusto, we know that the woman at the well does. We know what she does with her encounter with Jesus. We'll get more clues about Nicodemus later in the gospel, but we don't know what what we do with her. Anna Carter Florence puts it this way. She writes, When the woman comes to the startling recognition that she has been talking to the Messiah, she leaves her bucket and runs to the village with the news, Come see a man who told me everything I have ever done. Notice the unfinished nature of that sentence, she writes, though, especially given what we know about the woman's history. Come see a man who told me everything I ever did and loved me anyway. And loved me anyway. She, of course, does not say these last four words, but they are implicit in her action and in the joy with which she runs back to her town to tell them about her encounter. Everything she ever did, everything she ever did, is a long list of sins and common knowledge besides. It's always before her in the judgmental expression of her neighbors in what she lives with daily from her own mind. 
For Jesus to have intimate knowledge of that list is not as singular as it might be. But for him to know her past and still love her and forgive her, well, that is as unbelievably new and fresh as anything she has ever heard in her life. The man who told her everything she ever did and loved her anyway is what saves her life. In that moment, she sees God. She receives Christ and leaps up to tell. So first, first we see exactly what Caroline Lewis was talking about, where some commentators are focused on the woman's forgiveness of sins, when our text doesn't explicitly have Jesus saying that, right? We see that some, some commentators are focused on that. But what Florence's point highlights for us is that she responds immediately to her encounter with Jesus. She is forever changed by the man who offered her living water. Forever changed. And because of that change, she runs off to tell the whole village. She knows that Jesus knows everything and still feels his love for her in a way that maybe she didn't really have all of the right words for, but she shared what she had. He knows everything. Her testimony changes other people's lives. Nothing, nothing holds her back from telling people about this encounter that she had with Jesus. And people believe her and change their lives because of her, eventually coming to their own faith in Jesus. When we have an encounter with Jesus, we need to be more like that Samaritan woman at the well than Nicodemus. Not that his reaction is terrible. He thinks about things, he ponders them, and eventually he comes around to believing in Jesus and making a public expression of that. But this woman's spontaneous outpouring of love for her Savior is worth noting. She isn't afraid of what others will think of her. She isn't put off by all of the unfortunate relationships of her past that might hinder people from believing what she has to say. She isn't hindered by the fact that she is inviting other Samaritans to believe in this Jewish Savior. She simply expresses her love for the one who came into her life and changed it for the better and hopes that others will come to know that he can do that for them too. We spend a lot of time in our world worrying about what other people will think of us. We spend a lot of time trying to figure out just what the right thing to say is, so much so that we may miss an opportunity to talk about why we believe, why we have chosen to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Even in my world, this is true. At this point, if people don't already know what I do, if I tell them that I'm a pastor, I am just as likely to get a story about why they hate church, why they don't go to church, or every bad thing that the church that they attended as children did to them. Which makes me just a bit nervous to tell them what I do. Because I want to tell them why I love church. And all I get is this hatred for the church. So I get nervous about it too. I get it. We all want to be liked. Hard. But Jesus wants us to be willing to talk about our relationship with Him. We have to be willing to share these moments that we've had 
when Jesus has known everything we've ever done and has loved us anyway. And has loved us anyway. Because our everything we've ever done is surely filled with stuff, right? It's filled with stuff. But Jesus loves us anyway. To know that we are loved no matter what is life-changing. Life-changing. We are not the same after an encounter with Jesus when we are reminded of that. Our friends and neighbors won't be the same after an encounter with Jesus like that. So this Lent, will we keep what we know about Jesus Christ as the best secret we have? Or, or will we invite our friends and neighbors to know him, to share our church family, to meet this one who calls us to make the world a better place in his name? Will we sit in silence, or will we go and tell? And we continue in prayer. O God, who changed our lives in Jesus Christ, we gather today because of our encounters with, with Jesus. We come together in worship of you because Jesus changed all of us. Thank you for this gift who calls us all to continue to work toward bringing your kingdom to be on this earth. May we seek out and share the stories of one who will change the world for others as well. This morning, we know that so much happens in our world in the blink of an eye. Be with those who are sick and in need of comfort. Reassure, reassure those who fear and grieve. Guide the lost and the lonely. Rejoice with those who find their hope in you and who have things to celebrate. For we know that while for some the world is falling apart, for others, they are having their best days. Lord, help us to be mindful of all of the different circumstances that we might make ourselves your servants in the best ways possible. We continue to pray for Pastor Tiffany and the whole Garsha family. We celebrate Pastor Joey's appointment so close, and we pray that these, two, that these two appointments together would work for the benefit of their family and that these two pastors would work for the benefit of these two churches and communities. All these things we pray in the name of Jesus Christ, who makes lives better, and who taught his disciples to pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. <laughs>